0: Good to be with you again, IPC. It's hard to believe that we're coming toward the end now of our study of the Father's 10 good words. We're in the ninth good word here, Exodus chapter 20. Let me read verse 1 and 2, and then verse 16. And God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And then verse 16, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. Growing up, I loved TV shows and movies that involved courtroom dramas. I, for a long time, wanted to be a lawyer, not just any old lawyer, but a trial lawyer, of course. In fact, I thought those were the only kinds of lawyers. I wanted to have the eyes and the ears of the jury and the judge on me as I made convincing arguments And as I used the power of rhetoric to actually change the course of people's lives, (laughs) that was my dream job as a kid, as I watched courtroom dramas. It's probably no surprise to you when I say that, that I, I became a preacher, right? As I've gotten older, I've actually only grown now in my conviction that words really matter, that language is the means by which we reach other minds and hearts with our minds and hearts. Language is still vital to me. I've become convinced that uh, rather than being a courtroom lawyer, I am actually, as a human being, I spend my entire life in a courtroom as well, but not as a lawyer, but as a witness, in the witness box. I'm still using words, I'm still using language, and it still impacts people's lives but I'm in the witness box. In fact, I think that the ninth good word is here to remind us that actually we are all in the witness box all the time. That there is not a thing that we say or a relationship that we have that isn't full of testimony. Now, sometimes our language, our testimony can be very technical, just like in a court, right? We might read a a recipe, Mix two eggs in a bowl, add uh, condensed milk, I don't know. Sometimes we bear witness poetically, right? Roses are red, violets are blue. Still bearing witness, just doing it poetically. Sometimes we directly bear witness about God, right? The steadfast love of the Lord is sure. But regardless of what we're doing and in what format we're speaking, in whatever context, in whatever form we are, like it or not, in court, in the witness box, being witness bearers. In fact, image bearers are witness bearers. The ninth good word is, you shall not give false testimony. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. So today, let's take the Bible, which is, after all, God's own testimony in story form, and let's use it as the outline for our meditation. The Bible gives us First of all, the Father's call, and then we, in the witness box, we are there to bring forth our appropriate response to it. So, following the story of the Bible, God's own witness, how does this work? First, we need to hear the Father's creation call. Our Psalm of the day uh, is 145. It tells us that when we experience the creation that's all around us, there's actually two things that are happening. Number one, we are overhearing the creation as it bears witness, as it echoes back to its creator praise for his majesty. God has called creation to be and to do, and by being and doing, the creation itself responds with testimony, with praise of who God is and how powerful God is. So we're overhearing that Call and response. But at the very same time, when we overhear the call and response, the summons of God and the faithful witness bearing of creation, we realize that we, who are, after all, part of creation, are also being called to bear witness to God's goodness and glory. We realize, as we watch this dialogue between God and creation, call and response, that we, made in God's image, are able to bear witness in a way that actually no other creature can, and that is with the use of language. The psalmist overhears this call and response, this testimony of creation, and the psalmist realizes that he, and then the whole congregation of image bearers and witness bearers, are thus being summoned as well to bear witness. This is the Father's creation call. It's built into creation, that creation bears witness, and we the crown of God's creation must also bear witness. Right from the beginning, that's what we're here for, to bear witness. Second thing we need to do as we trace the story of our Bible is we need to reckon with our perjury, our perjury. In Adam, all of us have borne false witness. With all the creation gathered into the courtroom, filling the gallery, The snake is there in the garden, and the snake is the sleazy lawyer uh, who will defend any old, awful, sleazeball defendant just for the cash. And then there's God's image bearer, Adam, and Adam is called to the witness box. He's the expert witness. And then the courtroom dialogue sounds a little bit like this as Adam is cross-examined by the serpent. 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 Isn't it true, Adam, that God won't let you eat from any of the trees in the garden? Adam, well, we can eat, but we can't eat from this tree here. Serpent, but don't you know for a fact that God wants to keep you from enjoying this fruit? Adam, I'm not sure why the father has given us all these trees, but not this one. And serpent, isn't it possible though? getting a little courtroom dramatic here, that God knows that if you eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, Adam, that you will gain God's own secret knowledge, this knowledge that God is keeping from you. Adam, uh, I suppose that might be true. Serpent, and what keeps you from taking the fruit, Adam, and becoming like God? Adam, well, he said that if we ate it, then we would definitely die. Serpent, now, think about this, Adam. Doesn't that sound like the kind of threat that someone would make if they didn't love you, if they wanted to keep you in ignorance, if they wanted to have all of the power for themselves? Adam, uh, I mean, uh, serpent, isn't it true that your so-called father wants to keep you as a child, a little pathetic child, that he doesn't love you and want you to grow up, that you won't die but rather you'll start to live for the first time. Adam, I suppose that's possible. Serpent, face the facts. You're under oath. Your father isn't a good father. He's a ruthless tyrant. Take and eat. Adam, I guess maybe you're right. And he takes and he eats. The good father, Think about it this way. Do not bear false testimony against your neighbor. The good father was Adam and Eve's only neighbor in the garden. And they bore false witness against him. In Adam, you and I botched our witness. We testified that our good father, our first neighbor, was after all not good, not loving, not generous, but evil and manipulative and stingy. Then third, we need to hear the father's redemption call. We've heard his creation call to bear witness. We botched our witness and perjured ourselves. But the good father has called us once again in redemption. And this is what Exodus is about. The father tells Moses, Moses, you will be my witness to Pharaoh. Go and speak truth to power. This is what is going on in the giving of the 10 good words later on at Mount Sinai. It's the father saying, I have determined that this whole family, and not just you, Moses, but the whole family of Israel will be my witnesses in the world. The good father is in the process of nothing short of remaking humanity according to his image. He's adopting his family to be his family and to begin to bear the family name again, tell the family stories again and bear the family resemblance. And this family is going to be a light to the world and a city on a hill that can't be hidden. This family is going to testify with both mouth and with life among all the nations and before all creation in the courtroom that God is good, full of mercy, full of loving kindness, passionate about justice, that God is a beautiful lover and a lover of beauty, that God is a good father, all of the things that the serpent convinced us were not true. I am the Lord, your God. I brought you out of slavery in Egypt. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. This is a new creation good word. We need to hear the father's redemptive word in the ninth good word. So we hear the father's creation call. We reckon with our perjury. We hear the father's redemption call. And then fourth, we have to acknowledge our ongoing sloppy testimony. Because even after we're called, like Israel, like Moses, to redemption, to witness bearing afresh, we continue, don't we? Even as God's people, to struggle and to fail to bear true testimony about God and about our neighbor. This is a courtroom commandment, like I've suggested, but it also applies outside of the courtroom. Luther's catechism says that this commandment prohibits betrayal, slander, and the spreading of evil rumors. We are called here in this commandment to refrain from gossip, which curiously means that we can actually break the ninth good word even if we say true things. We can say true things falsely. We can say true things too fast, too carelessly, unwisely. Sometimes Proverbs chapter 5, we make our speech sweetly seductive to get what we want. Are we prone, perhaps, Romans 16, 18, to engage in what Paul calls smooth talk and flattery? Are we... Like Luther tells us we must, are we putting the best construction on things? In other words, do we interpret other people's words with suspicion or with charity? Do we really listen to what someone is trying to say? Or are we always out there trying to dunk on people? Are we, as Lightheart says, are we exaggerating the stupidity or malevolence of our ideological adversaries? Another way to say this is, if we disagree with someone, can we articulate the actual position of the person with whom we disagree? And can we do so in such a way that they would be able to say, wow, you really do understand my view. You're not giving me some kind of caricature of my view. Thank you for understanding me, even though you disagree with me. Light Art asks, are we For example, aware that social media is basically designed to get us doing all kinds of ninth commandment breaking stuff, to get us to brand ourselves through the use of all kinds of posturing and virtue signaling and canceling and assuming the worst out of everybody except for the people that believe and look and speak and act just like us. Are we conscious, for example, of the fact that controversy makes money for companies like Google through YouTube ads. People like and click on stuff that contains the bearing of false witness. Another way to ask this, another way we continue to stumble in this way, are we more concerned with being true and honest than, excuse me, are we more concerned with being nice than we are with being true and honest? So you can be truthful in a mean way, but you can also be nice and fail to be truthful. Lightheart observes the striking way that there are three commands back to back in Leviticus chapter 19. This is crazy. Listen to this. Verse 17. Don't hate your fellow Israelite neighbors. Verse 18. Very next verse. You should reprove your neighbor when it is necessary. You should confront them if you need to. Verse 19 Love your neighbor as yourself. These things, these things can be uh, true at the same time. The need to rebuke and correct and the love of your neighbor. Both of these coming from your mouth, both of them bearing true witness. And Lightheart says, if you tell the truth, you will create conflict. And then what are you called to do? You're called to be a peacemaker. But he says, True peace can only be won if the truth shatters the false peace of the lie. So friends, (laughs) called to redemption, let's, as as God's people, be honest, right? As witnesses, we fail. We continue to fail to tell the truth in a way that would make our good father say, amen. I could hardly have put it better myself. What else though? Thankfully though, we have fifth, our father's faithful witness. Our father's faithful witness. When our kids were really little, uh, we started making them memorize Bible verses. One of the first verses that we taught them was Proverbs 15, 1, a soft answer turns away wrath. And I remember the boys trying to pronounce that. A soft answer turns away wrath, they would say. <laughs> We'd say Yeah, pretty much. That's close enough. The reality is that that God is a good and fair and just judge, like we've said before in this series. And it would be just of God and fair for him to charge and to convict us with the perjury of our false witness. But the father does something amazing. He sends his own son to bear witness. In our flesh, what does Jesus do? He comes and he speaks the truth to neighbor, to friend, to enemy, to politician, to preacher, to stranger, to everyone. And he says what's true of God, and he says what's true of people. And with language, he bears life-changing witness, in the witness box, to the Father's faithfulness, in the midst of all of our false testimony. If God calls us to witness-bearing, in creation and if God condemns our false testimony as evil well then the father's son Jesus becomes for us the soft answer that turns away wrath the father provides the very witness that he calls us to and he provides that witness in Jesus in the beginning of the last book of our bibles revelation chapter 1 Jesus Begins to bear witness to us one last time, once more. And in fact, in verse five, there, he calls himself, this is his title, he calls himself the faithful witness. The faithful witness. And the Lord Jesus was, of course, put to death for speaking the truth in love, for speaking the truth to power, for witness bearing. But he told the truth and the whole truth and nothing but the truth with his human hand on the Bible, so to speak so help him God. And the father did help him. The father generously poured out his spirit on his son so that Jesus would be empowered and emboldened to be the faithful witness that in fact he was in our place when we couldn't, when we lied, he did it for us. So the question here is, have you heard the son who is the father's soft answer to our false testimony? Have you heard the son speaking his grace, and his truth to you and for you? Has his faithful witness become yours? If it has, then, sixthly, you will become a bolder and kinder truth teller. All those dimensions of faithful witness bearing that we looked at a couple of moments ago, all those areas in which we still fail to bear true testimony. These things now become not a list that condemns us, but they become, with the Spirit's help, areas of growth for us. We look at the scope and the significance of the ninth good word, not as condemnation to us, but as a loving challenge from a good father, a challenge to speak the truth-telling language of Jesus, his son, and to do it with more skill and confidence and without fear, And because we're in Christ, the faithful witness, and he's already said to us, not guilty, then we can ask ourselves and we can ask the Lord and we can even ask one another, honestly, hey, what's the one area of my witness bearing that needs to be more truthful, more gentle, more courageous, more Christian? What am I going to say this week and how am I going to say it So that what comes out of my mouth is actually, like Jesus, full of grace and truth. So with all the confidence that Jesus has definitively spoken God's love to us truthfully and to our neighbor, we need to imitate Jesus with courage in the days ahead. Why? Because what Jesus is doing by being our faithful witness and God's faithful witness is he is by the Spirit Transforming us into his faithful witnesses. He shall not give false testimony. One day you and I will be able to sit in the witness box with all the confidence and with all the grace in the world, and we'll be able to give a calm, soft, true answer in every situation, and it will be our joy to tell the truth about one another, about our Lord, about our world, and about the Lord Jesus Christ who is making all things true and good and beautiful in his good timing. Be encouraged by that. Jesus is at work to make you into a true witness, and he will complete that work. Amen.